This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Driven by Data, the podcast, season two, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We're delighted to bring you another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, which boasts even more data analytics and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Our aim remains the same to uncover how some of the most prominent leaders within the data analytics community tackle our industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, ideas and experience. And just as in season one, to give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast season two. A slightly unusual episode for you today and a bit of a bonus track, if you want to call it that. I was fortunate enough to be invited onto the Business of Data podcast by the one and only Catherine King over at Corinium Global Intelligence. And we thought, why not share on both platforms? So I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Business of Data podcast brought to you by Corinium. This week, we are talking all about the top trends in the data and analytics space, uh, specifically what my guest and I have been hearing from the market. And this is a bit of a different podcast because you may not be listening to us on the Business of Data podcast. You may, in fact, be listening to our guest podcast as well. And I'll let him tell you a little bit more about that in a moment. But we have brought in the wonderful Kyle Winterbottom, who is the founder and managing director for Orbition. Kyle founded Orbition in September 2020. Prior to this adventure, he had worked within a number of brands, including Shri, Premier Group Recruitment, and Lawrence Harvey. Now, if you can't find him at his work desk, you'll most likely find him spending time with his wife and kids in the gym or playing football. Kyle, it's wonderful to have you joining me. Thank you very much, Catherine. It's a pleasure to, to be here, although you probably won't find me playing football anytime again soon. I tore my knee ligaments last week. So um, that's that's me on the sideline, maybe indefinitely. The doctor told me to retire. I'm, I'm too old. So. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, well, hopefully yep. you can uh, do some physiotherapy or something and improve that do- doctor. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, yep. that's not the positive start I wanted to the podcast, Kyle. <laughs> you have to tell me something positive now. Oh, God. Uh, something, yeah, um, something positive. Well, I mean, for the data and analytics community, the positive thing is that um, it's going wild out there, right? Loads of opportunity, every business starting to think about this journey and going on that exciting adventure. So, yeah, that's probably that's probably the main positive thing for, for anybody listening. <laughs> love that. Love that. So, I mean, it, just from the intro there, it's quite clear that you fa- you founded Orbition in 2022. Uh Amid, uh, in 2021 rather, amid a global pandemic. What on earth made you do that? Uh, Yeah, good question. Something that my wife also asked me when I was in the midst of all that. So look, I think if I'm being really candid with you, you know, I've been in the data analytics recruitment slash talent space for, you know, 11 years now. And um, I think fundamentally recruitment has 
as it is and it's known, in, especially across the UK, is, in my opinion, fundamentally broken. Um, and I think there's a, a better way to do it, a more collaborative way to do it with different models that, you know, better suit everybody involved in the process to make it a more round, better experience. So that was the kind of driving force, really, to be honest with you, having worked in, you know, a number of corporate recruitment businesses that um, obviously you know, reputation's probably not great. And in many instances, um, probably rightly so, right? So I think that's the, the honest answer. Yeah, I love that. So saw a gap and uh, capitalised on it. Awesome. So we're, we're having a bit of a chit chat today about some of the trends that you and I are seeing um, in, in the market. I think we, we have a privileged position in a way that we're inside the data analytics community, but we're not involved in the kind of the roles that, that we uh, very often have on our podcast. And we can kind of almost have a bit more of an objective view, right? Because you can mm-hmm. see what's going on from the outside. Both of us have conversations with so many leaders that you can start to see the picture you can start putting puzzle piece, puzzle pieces together and seeing what's kind of going on there um so i mean let's let's start there what are the kind of big trends you're seeing at the moment and, and hearing from the community um i think what well, there's a there's a lot to go at right as you mentioned i think we've we've got a very privileged perspective because obviously most people in the industry have a single view of their own organization right and the challenges and opportunities that go on with that whereas obviously people like you and I speak to so many people and we get more a more holistic view um I think some of the 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 trends are you know I think that the trend's simple right every business is now looking to do something or do more with data analytics and that's kind of caused a real period of hyper growth um and I think to be honest with you there's been a a bit of a combustion of forces obviously covid paused many projects right uh, at the time of when the lockdowns occurred and you've got that you know those projects kind of coming back to fruition alongside obviously just more businesses going on that journey um I think the the couple of key things that I'd highlight is the data engineering space is probably, you know, exploded. Obviously, you've got, uh, you know, data science was the sexiest job title of the 21st century until most organizations realized they didn't have the infrastructure to do data science very well, right? That's the first thing. So, you know, the last two to three years has been really the the kind of rise of the data engineer and then i think you know over the last 12 months especially i've seen a, a huge kind of resurgence if you will around data governance again probably because a lot of businesses have you know trailed their tails back towards well why is this not as added as much value as we thought it was going to and you know poor data quality poor data management all of that type of stuff so that's now starting to get some of the airtime that, that it, it deserves in my opinion yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, so many of the guests we have joining us on the Business of Data podcast, where we can talk about the most advanced things that are out there at the moment. And it always circles back to, but first we need to get the foundations right. We need to get the executive buy-in. And it's such basic and simple conversations that perhaps we should have been having five years ago. But let's be honest, if you opened up a conversation with your executives about data quality, you're not going to engage them. You've got to put that sexy stuff in front of them first. And then, as you say, kind of uh, crawl back almost to to where we are now. And I I agree, there's been this resurgence of governance. And and I also think there's been a bit of a cultural change around it as not being such an inhibitor, but an enabler. And that language has changed around it as well. And it's the case of, it's not a case of doing this because we have to because of whatever reason it's doing it because we have to because it's a success you know it's that that complete complete change around it 
Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. I think, um, you know, historically governance, you know, and the language used around it, right, has, has kind of turned people off and often it's been a, you know, a tick box exercise, more of a compliance piece, as you mentioned, whereas I think now people realise, actually, if we get this right, this aids and enables our analytics endeavors to be mm-hmm. better and to be more valuable so i think the kind of the tides turned on how people view it which is yeah. you know only going to be a good thing right um but as you said you know when you go to a, a business leader or exec it's you know it's all the sexy stuff that gets their attention right if you start talking about ai you're more likely to <laughs> to engage in a conversation than you are talking about governance right i think that's just the nature of the beast so yeah and i think there is something to be said for giving that wider view and picture as well though it's it's not just a case of like I say doing quality for quality's sakes it is about the wider picture it's saying this is the transformation this is the journey we can go on to achieve these amazing things and cost savings and ROI and then kind of bring them back to the story and say this is what we've got to do right now to get there so I do think there's there's value in kind of the the sexy conversation it's just about making sure that you're then not promising things you can't then deliver because I know a lot of uh, leaders have have felt pressured to do that and when they first start in their senior role they've got to deliver this roadmap and say this is the success we're going to see in three years time whereas if you've got them in a corner of a room and said really are you going to do that most of them would say oh, we'll see we'll see mm. uh, yeah. perhaps not not thinking uh, that, that it is doable so big big trend in the market at the moment i mean what what else are you seeing um I think difference in terms of how organizations are looking to attract talent in terms of the things that they're identifying, this whole hard skills versus soft skills. And this is something that I've, you know, harped on about um, for, for, for a long time now, you know, I think we're, we've kind of nailed the technology component to this, right? That's the type of stuff too. And I'm not saying that that in every business that, you know, the tech piece is hundred percent, right. Of course, that's not the case, but, um, but for the most part, you know, that's the thing that we're good at. Um, so I think there's been a real emphasis now and actually, um, you know, do we need to be assessing people's capability to storytell, to communicate, to create mm-hmm. buy-in, to influence, especially at the more senior level, right? There's this being this um, real, you know, and I mentioned this a lot, but values almost become its own buzzword, right? So organizations yeah. coming to us and saying, we want to hire a data leader who can show us some commercial value from data. So the conversation seems to be moving from, you know, that shopping list of technological requirements that, you know, drives me crazy, if I'm honest, to actually thinking about this more strategically, which is great. I think that's probably being driven by the perceived lack of failure or, you know, the the added value that didn't actually arise, if that makes sense. So, you know, we're now getting a lot of businesses focusing on ROI, for want of a better term. So that's something that's certainly kind of poked its head up. Yeah, it's really interesting that we still use this language around hard and soft skills, because I think when it comes to those make or break relationships, and we know that you could have the best transformation in mind, you could have all the processes, as you mentioned, all the technology teed up. If you are have no skill with people and being able to convince them to come on board, to speak their language, to engage them, nothing's going to work. And it's certainly something that I've been seeing, especially on LinkedIn over the last few years, is this personal branding of leadership, more people now than ever understanding that they've got to be personable, they've got to show this side of themselves more so because I do think there's still a bit of a gap in how you can put that in a CV. 
and it be a meaningful part. So therefore it's got to be backed up on socials. I mean, we, we all do it, right? I do it to all of my podcast guests, anyone that joins me on the business of data. First thing I do is look on LinkedIn. What are they up to? And it really stands out when you've got a profile that really shows opinion, engagement, wanting to be part of that community. It stands out. And I know uh, from chatting with you in the past, Carl, it's something, again, that you're seeing a correlation with in terms of hiring as well as that people really attach themselves to those personal brands of who that leader is, not just from that technical point of view, that they may be fantastic and the best coder out there, but actually who they are as people. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And and again, this is something that I, you know, constantly I do a lot of content around this topic in particular. So I think you know, from a from a potential you know practitioner's perspective who is maybe thinking about well, where do I go next? There is without a doubt an attraction to those people that are seen to be thought leaders in the space, right? Because I guess you know, the times have changed, and and I guess a lot of the frustrations of previous years from practitioners where maybe their work wasn't visible you know projects would land on their desk they'd finish it off off to the next one type of scenario and they would they, they'd never find out whether it was useful whether it's impactful whether it added any value whether it even got used or not so these practitioners now are you know looking for environments where their work is is kind of valuable um, and I guess this, this, in my eyes, there's three components to the personal brand piece from a data leadership perspective, right? Obviously, every leader's core challenge at the minute is trying to build a team um, because the talent market is is crazy, right? So I guess if you're out there and seen as a thought leader and have this personal brand that attracts people, um, you're more likely to attract the top talent in the market because you know, when there's such demand, right? These people aren't necessarily, they don't need to go looking at job adverts. Mm -hmm. They they go looking for people they want to work for. And so if you're visible, that gives you a a much greater chance of of acquiring top talent. Obviously, from a personal perspective for these data leaders, it puts them on a pedestal. So when the next big CDO role comes to fruition, right, which we're seeing more and more of that type of of, of role come up, um, they are front and center because, again, these people are, you know, organizations are looking for the people that are visible and have seen to be doing this type of stuff already. So, you know, that thought leadership piece, again, plays right into that. And, and then even internally, right, They, if you're seen as a thought leader, you're probably more likely to get people and take them on that journey with you you know so from the whole adoption buy-in transformation cultural piece all of that type of stuff becomes easier if the wider community knows you as a thought leader in this space so i think there's them three components that are really clear and obvious yet as you and i have discussed previously there's actually only a handful of people that that do this Um, and often you hear i don't have time or i'm not comfortable or I'm not confident and I think you know my message is is simple like you don't need to overcomplicate this there's not a you know to, to build a personal brand that doesn't mean you have to stand up on stage once a quarter at Wembley right in front of 80,000 people it's um write content share your ideas give you give away your advice and all of that type of stuff and over time that compounds and you know creates this image around you so yeah that's that's my take a hundred percent. And I think, you know, obviously one of the easiest ways is is putting out content, as, as you mentioned, whether that's as simple as sharing a post and adding your own commentary to it. But I also think there's huge weight in being part of the discussion as well. You don't always have to be leading it. So whether that's attending, uh, you know, a, an event or a roundtable, et cetera, just being in the room and hearing what other people are saying, being able to then bring that back internally, as you say, being that internal thought leader and saying, well, actually this company are doing this. And I think that's really worked for them. We could do it in a slightly different way. Show 
knowing that you're going out and doing that research or staying relevant is is such a huge trend that, that we're seeing at the moment. And obviously in, in 2022, as we're heading back to in-person conferences, I think people are going to be capitalizing on this more than ever before because there has been a bit of a gap between this networking and the power that we can all have uh, uh, together in, in what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so there's two two big trends. I, I always like to to go for three. What else are you you seeing, uh, Kyle? Um, I think diversity is probably. The, I mean, look, diversity is on you know the agenda of ev- every boardroom out there, right? Um, but I think there's been a, a real emphasis, especially the back end of last year and the start of this year, to be thinking about okay, you know, there's there's obvious gaps in terms of diversity inclusion um, across, you know, minority groups and trying to get that balance right. And I, but I think, look, it's a, uh, it's a real difficult conversation to have, right. And um, the way businesses approach this, I think, uh, to be honest with you, I think many are fearful of doing and saying the wrong thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And that made, you know, that may drive inaction, actually. So I think, yeah, the whole diversity piece, every business wants to tackle this, every business wants to be more diverse and inclusive, but how do you go about that? What's the right way? And, and all of that type of stuff is probably the, the, the third thing that I'd mentioned. Are you wanting? Yeah, absolutely. It's a huge trend, and I think the the kind of moving then on to why these things are still challenges, which is kind of what what I want us to move into next. Picking up on that point, I think you're absolutely right that it can be a sensitive topic, but I think the biggest challenge is doing it in a meaningful way. I think if you're trying to do diversity and inclusion for any type of tick boxing checking activity people are going to smell that from a mile off and avoid you so so quickly because that is exactly what we don't want to be doing and it's a case of how do you do this meaningful work and we know you know I've I've preached it so many times on the podcast and beyond some of the biggest data analytics challenges that we face in the next five to ten years or even sooner around AI ethics, bias, these huge, huge challenges that more organizations are now going to be dealing with as they uh, get get their governance and quality right and they're able to start doing uh, more complex data analytics work in their organizations. If you don't have your diversity and inclusion sorted really soon, it's going to start impacting that work and that is going to get very messy very quick. And as we know, the trend that we see with customers is they want this personalized experience. They uh, want to feel good about your brand. It's not just a case that they like your products or services. It's a case of, do they like you as a brand? And uh, nobody wants that that PR that, that many uh, organizations have had. And we've seen the Netflix documentaries, of course, of where that goes very, very wrong when you don't have a diverse set of people around a table making decisions. Um, yep. So I think it, uh, not only is it a trend, it's going to be this, this challenge that we see see more of. Now, I do want to circle back to, uh, you know, obviously the the work you do day in, day out and the challenges you were mentioning there are attracting talent. We're, we're in this period that that's being fondly dubbed as the great resignation. And I mean, the challenges that, that are being experienced by our leaders, by, by people like yourself trying to connect the dots. I mean, what are the sorts of things you think people are going to be working through this year to, to try and find people to try and uh, uh, work work through this challenge? Mm. Yeah, so I think it's interesting, right? Obviously, the landscape from a talent perspective has changed and people's wants and needs and desires as individuals and, you know, their whole 
um, I guess, attitude towards work and work-life balance, that's changed. Obviously, that's something that every organization is trying to come to terms with, some obviously doing it much more successfully than <laughs> than others. And there'll probably be Netflix documentaries made about that as well in, in the coming years, I'm sure. But um, but I, th- I think there's a kind of a, a few kind of key points here. You know, there's at the, at the mid to senior level, there are more jobs than there are people to fulfill these roles. So that naturally tells you that there's winners and losers in this, right? And I think, you know, I try to make it really clear with the content we produce and, you know, with our podcast and our events and the, the, the advice that we give to clients around some of the things that people can be doing. Now, obviously the personal brand piece is, is really big from a leadership perspective in terms of attracting talent. But I think one of the biggest things that I see that, most organizations still for some reason don't do all that well is this whole creating of their own brand so i call it like a data and analytics brand it's almost like sits within or on top of um their employer brand right you know if you if you rewind five years you know you'd see job specs where organizations would they would sell themselves you know and i think um rightly so they need to but people aren't necessarily as bothered about the things they used to be bothered about, you know, so you'd see things on job specs before where it's like, you know, we have uh, a beer fridge or we, you know, (laughs) office dogs or pool tables or whatever the case may be people, you know, when it was five days in the office, okay, that was maybe a consideration right Mm -hmm. now it's not so much a consideration. So the type of things that the data analytics community wants to hear about nine times out of 10 is missing out of job descriptions, right? You get a, a shopping list of technological requirements that's, you know, a list as long as your arm and you kind of just say, oh, this this isn't compelling to anybody. No one reading this wants to join your organization based on this advert, which is ironic mm-hmm. because an, an advert is supposed to attract people and it actually <laughs> is doing the opposite, right? So um, there's, there's this whole piece around the compelling narrative, which I talk about, which kind of, I guess, feeds into the thing we were speaking about before around, you know, the, the the work being valued and impactful and visible. So, you know, does your business have a data strategy? If so, how does that feed into what the business is trying to achieve? What is the business trying to achieve? How, are you, how is that individual going to play a role in helping the business to get there? What does that mean for the data team? Who's the leader? Do they have any standing in the community? All of that type of good stuff. Um, but, you know, again, nine times out of 10, it's a, it's a list of, you know, shopping list of tech requirements. And that, in my opinion, is down to the kind of disconnect between the people with the knowledge of how to sell that role um, and the people that facilitate the attraction of talent. So often, you know, mm-hmm. you have a data leader um, who is the hiring manager and you will have a HR or recruitment team internally that either does that themselves or they will then choose which partners they choose. And there's a disconnect between the two because really the data leader is the person that needs to be giving that information. But often the conversation that happens between the two is, well, you know, okay, what's important for this role? What are they going to be building, for example? And then you get, okay, well, they need to have SQL, they need to have Python. And then, you know, you end up with that shopping list of tech requirements and, you know, you just look at it and think, that's really boring like no one you know and and when there's so much choice and options out there people are just you know then they you know so you're just you're just missing out so I think that's the biggest thing that I constantly talk to organizations that we partner with about in terms of okay how are you going to position this role why should someone join your business over Mm -hmm. another business you know over one of the other 
potentially 20, 30 options they may have if they decide to look. Um, and often that's met with, unfortunately, very blank stares. Uh, oh, oh, I've not thought about that. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> you need to think about that because otherwise you're not going to win. You know, it's as simple as that. So. Yeah, if I could describe data people in two words, it's ambitious and curious, and you've got to speak to both of that. And ambitious doesn't necessarily mean into management; it could be wanting to grow in their technical skill. But they are ambitious. I've always found that. And then curious again, data people love to to get into the weeds of it, understand it better, and that goes for the business and everything. And it's it's got to speak to to those uh, two elements. And it's so interesting because my, my follow up question was going to be: Do you think there's a disconnect between between HR and the data function, because something that I've always noticed, and I don't know whether you get this as well, if you talk about work to, to friends and family, as soon as you say data analytics, it's like, ah, no, I don't understand that, I don't get that. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. actually, if you go, well, hang on, this is what I mean by this, they go, oh, okay. And I've experienced that through, through various other projects that, that I've been involved with, where people's natural reaction is to go, oh, that sounds a little bit daunting. And I do wonder whether part of that kind of storytelling, again, from, from the data perspective, needs to be to HR to say, actually, this is the function and job that we're wanting to do. And kind of explaining it more to the point where it doesn't seem as scary to the to where they're just kind of, like you say, collecting those uh, uh, kind of hard skills, which are, you know, easy to Google and go, okay, you need this qualification, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree. And I think there's there's definitely a component here of people that are, um, you know, non-data folk, as it were, still very much pigeonhole data analytics and within, within IT. So it's like, even if it's a strategic commercial role, right, it's like, okay, you're, you're a data leader. So that means that you must be, you know, the expert in Python. And we've all seen the job descriptions, right? You know, it'll be like, you know, you want uh, 15 years experience leading a team of 30 people and have been able to demonstrate tangible commercial value through the use of data analytics. And then, you know, the next three bullet points is like, 15 years experience with Python, being able to build ML models, you know, being able to use GCP and you're kind of like, hang on, that's kind of, that's basically two different people. Um, yeah. And I, to be honest, I get a lot of flack on things like LinkedIn because I think sometimes the message gets misinterpreted. I'm not saying that the technology isn't important, right? But we've done the technology thing over and over and over again and we're still coming short so there's there's more to this you know the whole soft skills as it were in quotation marks um there's nothing soft about them right and they're mm -hmm. the things that actually take us over the finish line to success so yeah there's 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 a there's a lot to it but um but yeah i think you know the the whole is data it and most people thinking it is if they're not from the industry that certainly plays a part in why this happens yeah. And I mean, it's only going to get more complex, right? We we know that digital is kind of converging into data as well. And that brings with it a whole other set of ideologies and and, and thought thought space as well. And if that's now being merged into data analytics, you've essentially got this huge mammoth uh, department, which, which is uh, uh, full of so many personalities, job descriptions, career paths, um, and, and all sorts. So we're, we're coming closer and closer to the end of our, our time today, Kyle. What's next for you in the next 12 months? What, what are you uh, looking forward to? What's uh, on the horizon? Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, exciting journey unfolding internally for us. So, um, you know, we do, we're obviously headquartered in the UK and we work very much at the senior slash leadership end of the, of the market, helping organizations to build and scale their leadership and management and then senior technical teams. Um, 
we were doing quite a bit of work into Europe and quite a lot of work in the US. So we're going to put physical presences in those two locations probably within the next 12 months, which is going to be uh, going to be exciting. Um, and then I think, you know, from a community perspective, which obviously we're quite quite big on like yourselves, just more of the same. So, you know, our, our events are still ongoing every quarter. Um, our podcast is uh, is still trudging along um, and and we're about to launch our, uh, our mentorship program, which is a, a pretty new um, initiative that we're doing. And, and that was kind of driven by us identifying this gap in the market where, you know, most data analytics teams in the majority of businesses outside of the major enterprises are they're really small. You know, in some instances, they're a one-man band team. It's, so it might be two, three, four, and the people um, within those teams, those businesses just don't have the time, resource, energy to provide them with training, upskilling, development. So we've kind of come in and developed this free program where we effectively just um, buddy up, if you like, some of the thought leaders from our industry with some of these more junior practitioners that are, you know, on the upward trajectory in their careers. And, and hopefully that proves valuable so yeah i think that's what we're looking forward to getting that off the ground which is very imminent exciting 12 months for for certain yes i'm very uh very excited for in-person events to to come back and obviously keeping the the digital products as well because yeah. uh, they do offer offer uh, a space for for those who perhaps can't travel as much or, or can't have the the couple of days at the office is still a still a place for those as well so i always finish uh, my podcast Carl, on the same uh, question every time which is what's the big takeaway that you want our listeners to be thinking about as they end uh, the podcast with us here today oh that's a good question um yeah, i've got 3 minutes uh, <laughs> so uh, i think the the, the biggest thing for me if I was if there's something that I see over and over and over again which from a talent attraction perspective um, it would be the focusing on that kind of compelling narrative and maybe the piece around personal brand in terms of what can fuel that that's certainly the you know so I just encourage any data leaders out there to, to actually spend some time to think about okay why would someone realistically join our business? What is it that we're doing that makes us more attractive option than the business down the road or our main competitor or whatever the case may be? Because that's the stuff really that you should be promoting and talking about in your job descriptions. Yeah. You know, that's so that had been the, the key thing that I'd urge people to to kind of, you know, if they've listened to any of this, uh, <laughs> to, to maybe that's the bit that they want to keep hold of. Amazing. Well, always great to speak with you and I look forward to catching up with you very soon. Perfect. Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow our Bishon Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these too. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.